0: We no longer lay hands on an animal and say, God, please take my sin and the consequence of punishment, the separation, take it away in this animal. We no longer put hands on things to do that. We flip those hands around and if you look at them, they are empty and we approach God for forgiveness with empty hands. yesterday and uh, Lord willing we'll be back at the school next Friday Friday the 28th and we'll talk more about that uh, later on today. Today then is a little bit different we're not working through uh, the next chapter the next section the next passage of second corinthians we said last week that we were going to pause that and take a much deeper dive into one of the topics that come up in that passage uh, and today we're expanding on we're diving into the glorious exchange that we talked about last week it is such a rich and a deep passage that uh, we, it will be impossible for us to cover all angles of it in 30 minutes or so. Uh, and so because of that if you're watching on YouTube, if you're joining us live on YouTube today uh, and you can access the live chat there should be a blue box in the chat feature uh, where you can ask any questions that you have about this topic or really about anything in general. Uh, I can't promise that we'll answer them in the moment, uh, this morning, but I will promise to answer each and every question, uh, if there are any, uh, about this topic, about anything that's, that we get through the uh, YouTube Q&A. If you're not joining us on YouTube, if you're watching via South uh if you listen to this on the podcast a few days later and you can't get to the box and you do have questions... Uh, about this topic about this passage about these truths please do get in touch it's a, it's a great way for us to grow in our faith to deepen our faith to talk to one another. I uh, think about you know proverbs iron sharpening iron We need to ask these big questions uh, about these big topics so if you want to do that uh, please do drop me an email. my email is James at sarfellowship.com it's super simple. <laughs> Uh, And I would love to uh, help you go deeper and understand these big, beautiful truths that we're talking about today. Uh, Great to see so many people checking in on the live chat. Uh, Again, we love being together on a Friday. We're thankful for the tools that allow us to do this when we can't. And uh little things like the live chat on YouTube, letting one another know that we're still here, we're still laying aside time to gather to worship to receive God's Word as his church even when we don't do, do so in a particular place uh, and space is is really really encouraging. So if you've managed to say hi if you're checking in, thank you very much. Uh, if you're with us and you can't get to the chat, it's not don't worry about it. We're still very very grateful that you're with us this morning. Uh, So, if you've got a Bible there with you, be it printed, uh, be it uh, digital, I'd love you to join me in Psalm 25 as we begin this deep dive today. If you open your Bibles right in the middle, you're probably going to get to the book of Psalms somewhere in that book. And if you go to Psalm 25, uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses, Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. And I think it sets us up really, really well for today's time together as we receive God's word, as we earnestly seek to understand, go deeper and emerge on the other side with a a richer, deeper faith. So Psalm 25, four and five uh, tell us, uh, we read, make me understand your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, guide me into your truth and teach me. For you are the God who delivers me, on you I rely all day long. And that's just such a beautiful way to start our time together this morning. We want to learn, we want to know, we want to grow, because for you are the God who delivers me. We want to know all that we can about the God who saves us. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. So Father, we thank you. Uh, For this opportunity to gather together, Uh, we thank you for the frequent reminders we get living here in Bahrain that the church uh, is more than a place, Uh, it truly is a body of people. And we thank you, Lord, for those that are still uh, making time to gather, to lay aside as the church, to be together, even when we're out of regular rhythms and routines. We pray, Lord, that you would bless all the gatherings across the country this morning. Uh, Bless everybody, Lord, who's, who's joining us this morning, who hears your word Uh, spoken today. So, yes, Lord, we do pray that you would teach us, you would guide us, you would take us into a deeper faith, that we would understand you more, know you more, and uh, as we've read there, because, Lord, for you are the God that saved us, and about this we want to know all that we can, to glorify you and to be able to share it with other people. So we pray, Lord, that you would bless our time this morning, you would uh, speak to us through your spirit and your word, and... uh, this will be glorified to you and edifying encouraging and equipping to one another in jesus name amen okay uh so this morning then we are going to kind of at the same time take a bit of a deep dive and a broad (laughs) overview if that's popular (laughs) we'll see at the end if it was popular uh, popular possible Uh, We're moving through the whole council and taking a deep dive into this glorious exchange that we talked about in context last week in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. So what are we talking about? Well, very, very simply, uh, we are talking about the most important point of our faith. Uh, Charles Ryrie said in a great book... Just move the Star Wars Lego. Uh, This book, A Survey of Bible Doctrine, it's a great book. Uh, He said, Charles Ryrie said that we're talking about today the, the, the most important part of our faith, the crux of our faith. He said it's very, very simple and very, very complex at the same time. And another theologian said that without this, without this truth that we're talking about today, nothing else matters. Uh, So it really is very, very foundational. We want to use it as a launching pad to form our positions and convictions on everything else in our faith, but we constantly want to return back to it. Uh, At the same time, it's both a boomerang and a home plate where we want to return all the time. So what is this huge, giant paradigm shifting point? Uh, Well, again, we're going to be moving around in our Bibles today. Uh, So if you've got one, We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5, as we were last week. Hopefully you've still got a ribbon or a bookmark there, uh, unlike me. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, tells us that God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. So today then we're taking a deep dive into that by looking at the whole Council of Scripture. And I really, really hope that if you've never understood and accepted this truth, that today you will. And if you already have, uh, if you can explain it to other people, you, you know it inside and out already. I really, really hope that today you will get a little bit of a deeper understanding in it. And that you will reaffirm your commitment to it as the absolute crux of our faith. So... First, why did this glorious exchange need to happen? Why is it there? It's a great question to ask when we are presented with uh, claims on the truth. I'm I'm telling you, it's the most important part of our faith. Why? Why did this need to happen? And to start that answer, we're going to go all the way back. To the beginning of our Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis. We're going to be reading. We're going to be talking about Adam and Eve. humanity's first. uh, Made in the image of God. They're in the garden of Eden. It's paradise. They're living perfectly. God glorifying lives. Uh, They're living in perfect harmony with one another. And they're living in perfect unbroken fellowship with God. You can read about that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But sadly, it didn't last. Uh, The two of them are tempted by Satan. Uh, If you're kind of new to navigating the Bible and these Christian terms, Satan. Ezekiel tells us, the book of Ezekiel tells us that he was created as an an angel. Apparently, the the, the most beautiful, the number one angel, the highest possible uh, role was given to him. Uh, And he then decided that uh, this was not enough for him, that he wanted more uh, than God had given him. Uh, His pride in this led to his fall, and because of his sin, his his, his wanting to become equal with God and and higher than God, uh, he was permanently removed from uh, his position, uh, his role in paradise. And so he then approaches Eve uh, and challenges her to to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt the character of God, to question the, the, the words of God. And he, he does this by uh, tempting her to eat something that she was forbidden to eat. We're in Genesis 3, verse 6 now. Uh, long story short, the man and the woman, they fall for the lies. They doubt God to the point of disobedience. And they choose to put themselves as number one uh, in their own lives. And I read this week that it was a simple act, you know, eating something. But it represented the greatest rebellion that they could have done. God has said, don't do this. And they have chosen to do just that. They've contradicted with a clear conscious choice the, the words, the will, the ways of God. And so sin... Is introduced into the world uh, we would call this event we refer to this event as the fall when humanity fell from uh, perfect unbroken fellowship into sinfulness into rebellion against God and in his in in his uh, in his justice uh, in, in grieving and in, in punishment Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden out of his very intimate personal presence uh, and that that the relationship that they enjoyed with God was now broken. And as we're going to keep moving forward through this narrative, it's a really good point for us to stop and for us to say, to acknowledge that that sin and that rebellion, that, that willingness to choose to contradict God's words and will and ways exists in us too. It's it's really important that we admit and that we acknowledge that we too have fallen. Uh, There are times in our lives, frequent times in our lives, possibly even today, probably even today for all of us, when we contradict through our thoughts, through our words, through our actions, who God is and how he wants us to live. And You know, the scripture tells us we're made in his image. That's how we think about things, how we do things, how we... So all of that to say, we need to admit that this is us in this uh, account. We are the sinners. And what we get for that, the wages of our sin, what we receive in exchange for sinning, uh, Paul writes to the Romans, is death. And that's very, very true of... Adam and Eve here. Um, Genesis two fifteen tells us uh, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And that comes in a couple of different forms for them and for us. To die physically means we're separated from the land of the living. Uh, Adam and Eve, that happened for them. They were removed from, uh, from paradise, from Eden. They could no longer eat from the tree of life. Say physical death was never part of God's original plan for people. You can eat from any tree in the garden, including the tree of life, just not that one. And to die spiritually means to be separated from God, unless that sin, that error, that transgression, that trespass maybe your Bible uses all these words uh, that sin needs to be covered over, it needs to be atoned for. Uh, and uh, separation is the logical consequence of sin. Why would we want to be in the presence of a God that we choose to disobey? So it's a very natural consequence, uh, spiritual death, separation from God, when we choose to sin. And this happened for Adam and Eve as they were banished from the garden, uh, forced to leave God's very intimate and personal presence. But thankfully for them, Certainly for us, as soon as that happened, as soon as sin was on the scene, God, in his great love for his creation, provided a way for them to cover over that sin, to atone for, to pay for uh, the sin, yet to have it still be accounted for and uh, to, to allow God to both at the same time be just and holy and righteous, but also the justifier. And so Adam and Eve leave the garden... Covered in skin or skins. Uh, Genesis 3.21 tells us this. Maybe your Bible says in animal skins explicitly. Maybe it says hides. Maybe it says leathers. Uh, They certainly didn't leave the garden riding motorbikes. they left covered in an animal skin is the best explanation. Whatever the particulars. Very, very simply, before they left, before they were banished, a sacrifice had taken place. Blood had been shed, a death had occurred, and their sin was atoned for, was covered up, very, very literally here, with animal skins. And we said this was a bit of a deeper dive, uh, so if you if you want to use these big, technical theological words what we're talking about here so far is substitutionary atonement where atonement the covering of sin is made on your behalf by somebody else and as this happens for Adam and Eve their relationship with God is somewhat restored he is still present in their lives but they that it's not as intimate and personal uh, as it was. Um, it's not a full, beautiful, glorious, full restoration because the, the, the sacrifice, the atonement was made by an animal. And let's be honest, uh, animals and people uh, are not made in equal, in equal uh, glory. We, we read that we people are made in God's image. We hold a very special place in creation. And as they leave, then they're they're aware of this and they've got the words of God most likely ringing in their ears that one day something is going to happen to permanently restore humanity to that perfect fellowship, that intimate personal relationship with God. But until then, life is going to be really difficult for you. And the, the, the atonement, the sacrifice, the, uh, the substitute is going to need to be a, a very frequent thing. And it's only going to be temporary. It's going to bring you back to a certain point. It's never going to restore you fully and properly. It's going to be kind of temporary and fleeting. And then as we keep moving through the Old Testament, the first three quarters of our Bibles, we see a long... Difficult journey through uh, the depravity of people, uh, as they continually and in all the more creative ways choose to turn away from God. Uh, yet God perseveres, keeps going out of love for His creation. He sends He sends people, He sends prophets to speak on His behalf and warn them, to teach the people about God. He sends kings to lead them. He appoints judges to rule them, all the while reassuring them constantly as we move through the Old Testament that the best is yet to come. Something, somebody is going to come and put all of this right and restore us to the way things were meant to be. And as this happens, he backs up these claims with the miraculous and the spectacular to prove he is good for his word. Yes, signs, wonders, miracles, we always see there is an immediate effect but they all point to the truthfulness of God in His word when He's saying, "Somebody is coming, my chosen one, the Messiah is going to come and put this right." And again, as we move to the Old Testament, all these sacrifices that we see again and again and again for all these different transgressions, all these different kinds of sins, the temporarily, they somewhat restore the perfect unbroken fellowship of the god but it's not quite uh, and there are loads of examples uh, throughout the old testament again the animal skins of genesis 3 i think about abraham offering isaac here's the son that you cherish the son that you love uh passover god's people saved by the shed blood of a lamb i think about the offerings at the start of leviticus for All these different transgressions and sins and I think about the day of atonement where there is one sacrifice made to save all the people. And then finally, after what must have felt like an unendingly long period of time, God does send his Messiah, sends his own son. His essence, his very nature, uh, his very self takes on human flesh, comes to seek and save the lost, to redeem and to rescue and to restore all things. And how does he do that? Rescue, restore, redeem? God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We said last week that as Paul wrote that, To the Corinthians, it is loaded, it is packed with Old Testament imagery, with with language references, and the the Jewish contingent in Corinth would have understood that instantly, because that's the culture that they grew up with, that's the religion that they grew up in, that's the world that they lived in. And perhaps most prominent in that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, is a throwback to Leviticus chapter 16 and the Day of Atonement. Uh, So if you do have a Bible there, I'd love you to join me in Leviticus. Uh, If you're kind of new to navigating the Bible, it's the third book of your Bibles, quite near the front. And uh, we're going to be in Leviticus 16, talking about the Day of Atonement. And it's the events of the Atonement And the events of Easter weekend that show us that Jesus is the ultimate permanent solution to sin's curse on us and its consequence for us as well. So in Leviticus chapter 16 verse 30, we read what is going on. It's kind of a nice summary. It says, On this day, atonement is to be made for you, to cleanse you from all your sins. You must be clean before the Lord, to be in his presence Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2. We have to be clean from sin. We have to be pure, holy, righteous. And then Leviticus 16, 34 says, This is to to be a perpetual statute for you. You're going to keep on doing it. To make atonement for the Israelites for all their sins once a year. So that's what's going on. And on the Day of Atonement, there were two... Well, there are loads. Uh, Two, in particular, animals that we want to focus on. There are two goats present uh, in and of itself. That's not a very remarkable fact, is it? Goats often used in sacrifice. Uh, And there are two parts, two main parts to this atonement for all the people, cleansing their sins, allowing them to be in the presence of God. Uh, Leviticus 16, verse 15 says Aaron, as the high priest, the representative between God and man who is making atonement, uh, Aaron must slaughter the sin-offering goat for all the people. He is to bring its blood inside the curtain and he is to do with its blood just as he did to the blood of the bull. He is to sprinkle it on the atonement lid and in front of the atonement lid. Uh, Literal and physical death is involved in atonement. And we said that was a consequence of... Uh, sin, that's part of death that we experience because of the fall. Blood is shed, life is in the blood, Scripture tells us. Uh, We read, the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Also, however, on the Day of Atonement, there was a scapegoat. Now, this is not somebody uh, onto which... You put blame at work, uh, because you've done something wrong and you need somebody to take the fall, so you make them a scapegoat, make everybody think it's their fault, even though it's not. Uh, The best explanation for a scapegoat, the word, it's a really rare term, it's a very technical term uh, in this place and at this time, and uh, it describes the complete removal of something, and it kind of goes well with how we would use the term. If you make somebody a scapegoat, you're taking all responsibility off yourself and putting it on the scapegoat. There is an animal present, a scapegoat, whose purpose in the atonement was completed when it was alive. So Leviticus sixteen twenty one tells us that Aaron was the high priest the representative of God to man and man to God, uh, is to lay his two hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the Israelites and all their transgressions in regards to all their sins. And he's to put them, the sins of all the people, on the head of the goat and then send it away into the desert by the hand of a man who's standing ready. So the live goat takes all the sins of the people and removes them, carries them off, is separated because of the sins that they now bear. And uh, Millard Erickson wrote that the people were delivered from punishment by the interposing, the introduction, of something between their sin and God. Uh, The blood of one animal and the carrying of sins of another. For the sacrifice to be effective, there had to be a connection, some point of commonality between the victim and the sinner. And it's a goat. There's very little commonality. So what happened is the people would put their hands on you. Read Leviticus 4. They're leaning on these goats with all of their weight. They're putting their hands on the goat. They're confessing, kind of metaphorically uh, transferring to the substitute. God, take my sins, put them onto this goat, separate the goat from your presence. Forsake the goat, not me. Take this on my behalf, Lord, please. So there were two parts to the atonement literal blood shed, and the removing of sin, the separation that the scapegoat experienced on behalf of the people. And I want you to keep in mind, verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And the offering that he made on the cross encompassed both parts of the Day of Atonement. He became both the living scapegoat who bore our sin and was separated from God because of it and the blood-shedding, life-giving sin offering as well. And his last words on the cross tell us that very, very clearly. In John chapter 19, John records that Jesus' last words were, It is completed. Maybe your Bible says it is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. It is completed. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Maybe your Bible says he bowed his head and died. Both halves of the Day of Atonement are there. It is finished. The word that he used was used in religious circles when a sacrifice has been performed, when atonement has been made, when sins have been transferred. You lean on that goat. What do you say? What do you do? We're finished. It's done. The transfer is complete. Matthew's last words, uh, Matthew's recorded last words of Jesus to his predominantly Jewish audience who have grown up in this world of sacrifice and atonement and scapegoats. Matthew records that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus was feeling the separation of the scapegoat. He is carrying the sins of the people that they've put on him. He is atoning for their sins and then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit again maybe your bible said he bowed his head and died he shed his blood literally physically he made a physical real death on that cross both halves of the day of atonement are beautifully encapsulated in and at the cross The scapegoat, carrying the sins of the people away, being separated from God because of that, Jesus feeling that separation, feeling forsaken and a literal life being given to, bloodshed, atonement complete. And F.B. Meyer wrote that from the gates of Eden, the blood of sacrifice had begun to flow. From that moment, however, the cross, not another drop need be shed. The types, the, the previews, we're finished now that the antitype, the ultimate reality that the previews point to, had been realized. And again, there's one more uh, very technical, theological term that's going on in Second Corinthians 5:21, and it's also where we come into this uh, as people as well. And that second term is double imputation. Jesus atones for, covers our sin. Our sins are imputed, given to him. Just like they were with Old Testament sacrifices. Albeit he did it once and for all. Not year on year, week on week, day on day. But at the same time, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that his righteousness is imputed, is given ...to us, which the Old Testament sacrifices could never do. If you look at Leviticus, there's loads of substitutionary atonement going on there. Loads of sacrifices being made to cover over the sins of other people. But there's not a double imputation because those bulls, those goats, those offerings... Don't give you their righteousness in return because they can't. They're not equal. They're not like you. They're not made in God's image. They've not lived a sinless, spotless life. They've not kept the law of God perfectly. They're just given to bring you back to... to, You've sinned and they bring you back to zero. And then you sin again and they bring you back to zero. And that's the best that they can do. But that's not the best that God wants for you. Jesus comes along. And he offers to bring you back to net zero. You've got the opportunity to be in God's presence. But in and of yourself, you're still unrighteous. And the best that we can offer, Isaiah tells us, is like filthy rags. So the the sacrifice is made. We're back to zero. We've got the opportunity to be right with God. And then Jesus comes along and gives us his righteousness, which allows us to be restored to that unbroken, that perfect fellowship that we were made To experience, because he lived that sinless life. He is like you and me, and he took on human flesh. And our standing before God is restored to what it was always meant to be. Because of Jesus giving you, imputing to you, his righteousness. So why does this matter? For you and me today, we said at the start, it is great to learn about these big, bold truths, to learn about why things work and how things work. But what does it do for you and me living in 2023? Now, well, in Jesus, in Christ alone, we have the opportunity for our sin to be transferred once and for all, Hebrews tells us, for atonement to be made once and for all to a spotless Sinless, all-sufficient sacrifice made by one who was at the same time just like us in that he shared our humanity. But also so much greater and higher than us that he never sinned and therefore can freely offer his life without blemish as a ransom. The atoning sacrifice for as many people want to come to him And to claim it. And so for you and for me, in in our search for forgiveness, in in our search for restoration to that unbroken, perfect relationship with God, we no longer lay hands on an animal and say, God, please take my sin and the consequence of punishment, the separation. Take it away in this animal. We no longer put hands on things to do that. We flip those hands around. And if you look at them, they are empty. And we approach God for forgiveness with empty hands. There's a great old hymn uh, written in the 1700s. And we, it was kind of worked into one of the songs that we worshipped with earlier. And it says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Because Jesus went to the cross and as that scapegoat took with him our sins where he faced God's wrath against sin, the separation. He faced that feeling of separation and he shed his blood to complete the atonement. And as John writes, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The proof that this is enough, the proof that this was accepted, was his glorious resurrection. He didn't need to die for his own sin, be banished and forsaken for his own trespasses. So having paid the price for ours. Experienced the death. Experienced the separation. Having carried that burden for us. He was raised to newness of life. Which is both a pattern and a promise. Of what comes for us as well. And so as we move towards a conclusion then. On the 6th of May 1888. Talking about this very topic. To his church. Charles Spurgeon said. Dear friends. There may be some with us. Who don't think much of this theme. It's nothing much important to you. That Jesus died. But if there is anything that sanctifies. Any truth that digs deep into the heart. And puts the seeds of life. Into the very centre of your being. If there is anything. That makes the Christian devout. Humble. Holy. It is the doctrine of the cross. At which time Jesus took our sin and also gave us his righteousness. And Charles Spurgeon said, if you're feeling guilty, come to God for forgiveness and pardon through the cross. If you're going to confess your sin, if you're willing to admit that you have fallen, come to the shed blood of Jesus for cleansing. And so for us living here now, today, we're free to accept this atonement has been made on our behalf. There is no charge. It is by grace alone and faith alone. And when you accept that, you are restored to right relationship with God. Here, now. And we can rest easy in the knowledge that one day it will be in his very presence in eternity. And that is only because of the imputed righteousness, the given to you right standing with God, of Jesus. Or, we're free to reject this offering. I read recently that God drags nobody to heaven by their ears. We are free to reject this, to try and cover over our own sin, to pretend uh, that that we don't sin, that we're not, Fallen, uh, that we're we're doing all right. We're free to reject this if we want. We're free in our fallen humanity to enter into a constant battle to to, to, to sin. Slip, trip, fall, transgress, trespass, fall and then atone. Fall and then atone. That never gets us where we want to be. It just brings us back to zero if we can even manage it. So we're free in our fallen humanity to enter into that and to try and earn our righteousness alone. And I would really sincerely encourage you to, in this glorious exchange, give our sins to Jesus and take from him the right standing with God. And so if you've never done that, uh, we sincerely hope that today will be the day that you do so. And if you have already done so, uh, we really, really hope that uh, having seen it in a little bit more detail, having understood why the cross of Christ is uh, the, the, the crux, the main thing. Having seen that, uh, we really, really hope that you will deepen your faith and that you will be all the more encouraged and equipped to share this with other people.